Global consumerism is a $40 trillion a year phenomenon, which makes it the largest, most predictable investment opportunity on the planet. Who are the prime beneficiaries of global consumption trends? Mega brands. Welcome to the Mega Brands podcast series. I'm your host, Eric Clark. In this podcast, we explore mega trends through the lens of a global investor with the ultimate goal of identifying the most relevant, most innovative brands that are best positioned to become what I call mega brands. These are the brands that are customer obsessed, have a corporate culture of innovation and self-disruption, create products and services that are in high demand, that exhibit strong brand love from customers, are serving a global opportunity and appeal to multiple demographic groups. What's the reward for a company that meets these criteria? More revenue, more cash flow, higher market share, and the potential to reach the trillion dollar club. Please enjoy our next episode of Mega Brands. Eric Clark is the portfolio manager for the Rational Dynamic Brands Fund in conjunction with his partners at AccuVest Global Advisors. All opinions expressed by Eric and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of AccuVest Global Advisors or Rational Funds. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of the Brands Fund or AccuVest may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Happy New Year, everybody. This is Eric Clark from AccuVest Global Advisors. This is the audio version of our investor update for year-end 2021. We uh, did a written version, and I know some people like to listen versus read. So this is the audio version of that commentary. Um, you know, we start off uh, by referring to one of my favorite mountain bike rides in Lake Tahoe, and it's called Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. And I, you know, I bring this up because that's really how we would describe the equity markets in 2021. Um, last year in our investor update, we asked the market gods for a healthy dose of normal across markets for the year. And as we write this annual letter uh, in early January of 2022, I can definitively say the market gods ignored our request in favor of a wild ride. We're the only of Mr. Toads in Lake Tahoe. Now, in hindsight, investing in stage one of a global pandemic is a lot simpler than investing in stage two. Uh, in stage two, human beings and investors have to deal with all the distortions that are created by the crisis, as well as the responses to the crisis by policymakers and politicians all over the world. So it was quite hectic for most of the year as these, uh, the Delta variant and the Omicron variant started to ripple its way through all of these different economies and all of the restrictions that may have occurred and all the disruptions to all the businesses, et cetera, down to the consumer level. So as we start 2022, uh, one, we're extremely excited about the current portfolio holdings that we have. Uh, I think there's about 30 stocks right now and their ability to generate a relatively stable stream of revenue, free cash flow, and actual earnings. Remember earnings? For the last five years, actual profits were not required to generate strong returns in growth stocks. We think uh, that has changed and it's probably changed for some time. And you know, if you're an investor and you have a bunch of growth funds or ETFs, 
please make sure that profitability is at the center of what they are investing in. Um, I love the ARC ETF uh, innovation theme, but I don't, they didn't have a good year in 2021. And I don't know that they're going to have at least a good year for the first half of 2022, not to pick on ARC, but that style factor of high growth and very little profitability is just not in favor. There's just not a lot of demand for those stocks and they're still really expensive. So if you have that kind of exposure, maybe underweight that until uh, we get a lot more valuation extremes to be able to, to kind of uh, get more excited about that category. Because there's certainly some names that we owned in 2020 that I would love to own again if they got a little bit cheaper, but I don't think we're quite there yet. We think it's safe to say profits and revenue growth and generating free cash flow are always the hallmarks of solid long-term businesses, generally more stable stock price movements and, lo and solid long-term returns. That's really where we focus most of the time um, with those kinds of businesses because they tend to give people a smoother ride. And you know, it's, it's great to offer strong returns, but our, our goal is also to give people a much smoother ride along the way. And to do that, in most cases, you have to buy a lot of quality names. So we feel pretty good about where we're positioned currently. We all like investing in calm markets with high certainty. But the reality is the best returns often happen when fear is everywhere. And there's certainly a very high wall of worry to climb currently as we start 2022. So I know it feels good to be able to buy stocks and, and funds and ETFs when the trailing one-year returns look robust. But, you know, my 28 years in the market says that, you know, you should, if, if you really believe in the thematic and the way that a, that a fund or an ETF manages, then you should want to have a little bit of that on sale if you're putting new money to work. That's just when the, what better returns you know, are generated from rather than just buying all-time highs and hoping that we you know, buy high and sell higher. That's where we are today in markets, Fed policy, and the economy. There is definitely that wall of worry that's out there. Here's the positive disconnect between the narrative and the business fundamentals of the companies, at least that we own, we see tremendous value across important global spending categories, particularly in the services sector. And with a couple of the laggard industries and sectors last year, we think they're gonna have some pretty good mean reversion, positive upside surprises in 2022. Overall stocks and bonds are expensive relative to history, but I urge you and investors to be careful about you know, broad-based market narratives. No matter what market or economic environment we're in, there's always a subsegment of the market that appears attractive for investment. You know, if you look right now, and frankly, over the last six months or so, defensives have generally performed well. Um, maybe value oriented have performed well. Some cyclicals have performed well as we've come out of of you know what what we could would consider a, a short deep recession, you know, created by COVID. So, you know, right now we own a focus basket of highly relevant brands, most of which are trading at reasonable valuations that hold strong recovery potential and are operating at the center of significant secular growth tailwinds. In 2020, work from home, e-commerce, and high growth profitless businesses worked best. 
2021 was the year where indexes held up really well, but the average stock experienced significant volatility. And we had a ton of rolling corrections and sector rotations that happened without warning that were pretty vicious. The second and third tier businesses, by the way, we don't tend to traffic in those type of, of companies. Um, th that's, you know, if you survive the global economic shutdowns and came out without getting bankrupt, uh, you probably had some pretty decent snapbacks in 2021. Again, we don't own a lot of those businesses because in many cases, they aren't the most relevant leading brands in, those, in, in their industries. Suffice to say the lowest quality, least competitive, least profitable businesses only outperform once in a very long time. So, um, you know, last year we did better than average from a long-term, you know, earnings uh, and return perspective. But some of the really highly levered speculative uh, names, particularly in retail, did really well. And we don't tend those, those kinds of names. Our job's to anchor on the most relevant and innovative brands across important spending categories. And those businesses on average outperform low quality companies more often than not, like I said. In 2022, our team has high confidence that a return to quality with superior pricing power and high profitability will occur. And these companies offer the best opportunity for attractive total returns. We couldn't be more excited about the current group of, group of brands we own in the fund. And, and the best part for investors, the market's putting a lot of those names on sale right now. So buying low, fear, selling high, euphoria, will never go out of style. And the short-term uncertainty that we see caused by Omicron and the Fed normalizing interest rates and some of the the, the uh, monetary policies that they've had, those are offering solid entry points for long-term investors. As a reminder, global spending is a $40 trillion a year phenomenon. Uh, given its size and its scope, it, it absolutely warrants some dedication in a portfolio. And, and the reality is most portfolios still do not hold enough exposure to this stable, predictable theme as consumer spending. And that's why we created the dynamic strategy and why we took over the fund um, in October of 17. In a world with so many complex equity strategies, our thesis is likely the simplest to understand. I think your clients will appreciate it. Uh, and it's at the center of this logic, common sense, and risk management, which I think makes a lot of sense for portfolios. If consumption is the core of the economy at 70% of GDP, and it is, shouldn't the most powerful brands serving this theme be at the core of your portfolio? That's the thesis that we've always had, and we still think it makes a lot of sense. Getting into the meat of the commentary, when high quality stocks go on sale and underperform, we thank our lucky stars, ride through that volatility, and we build bigger positions. We have relatively modest exposure to the high valuation, low profitability growth stocks in favor of owning a high profitability, high quality, and travel recovery barbell. So at one end of the barbell, we own a core group of exceptionally high quality brands serving important everyday spending categories like saving for retirement and investing, e-commerce, athleisure, credit card payments, digital payments, home improvements and luxury home furnishings, home building, real estate platforms, brick and mortar mass market retail, video streaming, consumer 
consumer healthcare, electric and traditional luxury vehicles, cloud computing, luxury apparel and accessories, and healthy fast food uh, restaurants. And then obviously at the other end of the barbell, we have that basket of travel and recreation platforms like Expedia, which owns VRBO, uh, as well as Airbnb and Caesars, a leader uh, in Vegas entertainment and sports betting. So, you know, our goal to get out and about is still very high. There's a lot of pent up demand. Vegas is still on fire, even with these restrictions. And so I think our you know, our, our travel barbell that includes the Visa, MasterCard, PayPal, and Google with their travel um, should serve both masters and, and have much better, smoother 2022s as people just finally get fatigued with COVID and just go about flying, staying in hotels, renting houses, and going to Vegas, et cetera. Dynamic Brands will always be a diverse thematic consumer trends fund that holds baskets of great brands serving a differentiated group of sub themes within the global consumption primary opportunity. And, and that changes over time. In, in COVID years, obviously consumers uh, had to change their habits. And so we owned a lot of the, the brands that benefited from our changes in habits. And in 2021 and 22, we have a much more balanced approach now that we're able to get out and about, even if uh, COVID and the variants are still with us. As consumer trends and habits evolve, like I said, so too will the portfolio of brands that we own. And we're pretty excited about the assets that we have now. And these intangible assets continue to be misunderstood and largely ignored by most investors, which is why we think, you know, people deserve to have an allocation to the fund and to the intangible assets called brands. You know, I have a chart in here that talks about the tale of two markets in 2021. On the surface, like I said, the markets were solid and pretty quiet. Indexes were really strong. But under the surface, there was a ton of volatility, a ton of drawdowns, wild sector rotations, and rolling corrections that were quite severe. Most indexes performed strongly. Most stocks inside those indexes really had some interesting dynamics and, and some drawdowns. The vast majority of returns came from the largest stocks in the indexes. Um, and, 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 you know, that, that's kind of a bit of an ETF effect too. So we had epic kind of historic flows into ETFs. Most of that money found its way into market cap weighted indexes. So naturally, when you have a wave of money getting put to work in ETFs, and those are mostly market cap weighted, the bigger companies get the beneficiary of a lot of those flows. And so you saw strong returns at the upper end of the market cap spectrum. I don't think that's repeatable this year, um, but certainly we shall see. Here's some crazy stats in 2021. And this is as of December 20th, over 90% of the S&P 500 and NASDAQ stocks were at least 10% away from their 52 week highs. And 68% of the NASDAQ holdings had at least a 25% pullback from their highs. So like I said, there's a lot of damage under the hood. I'm sure you saw that in a lot of your, in the, in a lot of your funds as well as your ETFs uh, across the globe because there was, this wasn't just a US phenomenon. This kind of variance between index performance and the average stock performance is pretty rare. Uh, you know, between hedge fund redemptions and algorithms um, and, and just some of the tax loss selling and cap gains, 
being pulled forward because of potential uh, taxes going up next year, plus the COVID variant spiking and nervousness around current and future monetary policy. I mean, naturally, you're going to see a lot of volatility under the surface, and most strategies felt that uh, throughout the year. I think you'll appreciate the the, the chart that we have in in the uh, in the commentary. Here's another crazy statistic: if you remove the largest five stocks from the Nasdaq index, that's Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Google, and Tesla, the 2021 return for the Nasdaq would have actually been negative on the year. That's a pretty stunning statistic. Uh, like every year, 2022 will have its ups and downs, but on the margin, we think the supply chain issues. Uh, and clogged port issues will begin to normalize. We are already starting to see that. Labor shortages and high wage inflation, though, I think is going to be much more sticky, which is going to put you know a lot of pressure on the margin line for certain kinds of companies. Uh, the the pent up demand for being out and about and traveling around the world has never been greater. So we continue to like those kinds of businesses in the services sector. And our stock selection certainly centered around the brands that we think have very high demand for their products and services that have very sustainable pricing power because of strong brand love and loyalty. And we have a tilt towards asset light businesses with lower labor costs, given our view that wage pressure will linger for, for a longer period of time. You know, it's important to remember that consumer is still spending well. At 70% of total GDP, consumption really matters to, to overall GDP. So I think GDP will be fine uh, over the, the year of 2022. Um, but, and, and regardless of the current narrative, the consumer is still very healthy. Home prices are high and appreciation is still, still strong. The wealth effect is still strong with stock markets and our 401ks performing well. So having a solid job with good wage growth, lower credit card debt outstanding, higher savings and money market balances, and easily being able to upgrade your job and salary if you want to, all feed into the, the collective consumption capacity readings that we see, which are all very positive. The path we currently see out the front windshield is, is very positive and sustainable from a consumption perspective. Uh, at some point that'll change. And you know, if, if I were doing this commentary in 2007, I would tell you that we're pretty cautious. The consumer is way over their skis. They're flipping houses. They have big credit card debt balances. So consumption is at risk. That's just not where we are currently. So we're, uh, we're allocated according to that environment that we currently see. You know, In a world filled with uncertainty, the predictability of the consumer spending uh, given that there's still roughly $3 trillion in excess savings, makes us feel pretty good about the prospects for, most, for the most important brands serving these consumption industries. Yes, the cost of everything we want and need has gone up year over year. And a portion of the population is and will continue to feel a pinch in their wallets. So we're, we're mindful of that as we go about our stock selection. Consumer behavior is very likely to change in 2022 um, and, and that's where stock picking can add a lot of value uh, over an index. When the price of everything is high and it's stubborn, the masses tend to start prioritizing their spending and, and then deferring where appropriate in non-core spending and, and categories. That process is clearly underway and that's what's driving a lot of our stock selection. And if we get it right, 
then we'll start to see earnings beats in the names that we own that are still, you know, part of the consumer mind share and the wallet share. And we're going to see a lot of misses in coming quarters as those earnings and margins normalize. The most loved brands selling the most in-demand products and services should continue to thrive. The second tier brands in non-critical spending categories could certainly see that demand erosion if the price to value ratio isn't attractive. That's just the way consumers are, we're very fickle. And, and so we spent a lot of time on that particular part of the consumption process. The current dynamic portfolio construction reflects those brands and spending categories we think are the most sustainable and interesting to consumers today. And when the number of categories and brands that are thriving moves down, the portfolio just gets more concentrated, which is where it is now at about 30 names. The portfolio is simply a reflection of the opportunities we see across the wide spectrum of spending and business investment. So let's take a look at 2022. We do, again, think there's a shift up in quality with a lower number of names, and we will continue to utilize that portfolio flexibility. Again, there's been a lot of distortions that have created through all these policies. You know, names like Amazon and Visa and MasterCard and PayPal and even Netflix have largely underperformed uh, the market since mid 2020. So there's an opportunity for a kind of revival in a lot of these great high quality brands that are now at the lower ends of their, their uh, valuation uh, spectrums and they should have much better years in 2022. You know, if, if you look at Visa, MasterCard, and PayPal in particular, they're aggressively buying back their stock while these while the stocks are low. And what happens when a business, uh, you know, starts to tr their trends start to go to back to normal and positive, while they've been aggressive at buying back stock and taking the the shares out of the you know out of existence, you get earnings beats when the share counts are reduced so aggressively. That's what we see for many of the brands that we own now from a laggard turn to leaders thematic. When our team wrote the Brands Fund Prospectus, I wanna remind people, we wanted to give ourselves wide flexibility to deal with whatever the market environment threw at us through an entire business cycle. It doesn't mean we're gonna sidestep every drawdown, that's impossible. You know, if you want good long-term returns, you have to be willing to go through periods of, of high volatility and some drawdowns. But as we enter 2022, I, I think the portfolio flexibility will be a key factor driving the returns for the year and having the ability to use some cash to our advantage or actively trade when the volatility is stubbornly high over the 20 mark, like we did on the VIX, like we did in 2020. Um, I think it's going to add a lot of value when the VIX stays stubbornly over 20 on a multi-month period. And I'm not sure that's going to happen this year. We'll have to wait and see. We do put our trading cap on and take advantage of really short-term volatility where we can hold some cash, uh, buy something that's max oversold, get in, get paid and get back to the safety of cash. I'm not saying we're gonna use that, but we certainly have that in our toolbox if we see a multi-month period where the VIX is over 20. Uh, if it, we can certainly use that defense to our advantage, um, if we see defensive companies continuing to perform versus high beta, we will make some pivots on the margin away from some of those high beta brands. 
if you have been in this business for many decades, you know that there are very few equity funds with wide latitude in the prospectus to do what we can do. Whether it's in the brands fund or others, we just urge you to seek exposure to have some flexible strategies in your lineup because you know the risks and the wall of worry are high. And so having that flexibility, I think will be a good thing. If you look at our returns in 2020, up 45 and the market up being about 18, that highlights our ability and our interest in using volatility to our advantage because we have a flexible prospectus. Remember, you know, returns do not come in a linear fashion. They often are much more volatile and nobody loves that, but that's just the reality of investing. Things just don't steadily creep higher. They tend to go in short bursts sometimes with some setbacks along the way. So again, if you look at the current brands fund, we have access to some very important lifetime spending categories in some very iconic brands. And, and you and your clients will recognize a lot of these video streaming and Netflix and Amazon and Apple TV with online shopping for Amazon and Target and Costco and Nike and Lululemon and Home Depot and Lowe's, you know, through the travel sector with Airbnb and VRBO and Expedia and Caesars and Vegas with payments and Visa and MasterCard and PayPal with the, that owns Venmo, as well as Square, which is more of an innovator and now moving into blockchain. You have your consumer electronics exposure with Apple, which sells those iPhones and iPads and AirPods with Microsoft and Xbox and Office 365 with a lot of cloud computing with Google and Amazon AWS. You have that healthy, fast, casual exposure through Chipotle. We have some great luxury goods exposure with Louis Vuitton, which owns Tiffany and Dior and Sephora, the, uh, the vanity retailer, as well as Estee Lauder that owns Clinique and MAC Cosmetics and Evita, as well as some really exciting auto exposure. Tesla has been a big winner for us for the long term. We also have Ferrari in there with great pricing power and probably one of the most iconic brands that's ever been created, as well as a value play in Volkswagen. You know, VW owns a bunch of different great brands, particularly in the luxury category. And the current value of Porsche is greater than Volkswagen in total. So the brands that Volkswagen owns, Porsche, Audi, Bentley, Lamborghini, as well as, well as Ducati motorcycles, the value of the, the sum of the parts is much, much greater than Volkswagen's market cap. So we really like that one, particularly as uh, the Porsche you know, subsidiary is being considered to, to spin out from, for, from uh, VW, similar to how Fiat spun out their ownership in Ferrari. And Ferrari has been a monster performer since it was spun out. We also, in the savings and investment thematic, we own leading brands, Blackstone and KKR. They can be volatile sometimes, but man, are they raising a ton of institutional and retail capital. And a lot of the revenue that they're generating from fees hasn't even showed up from all the assets that they've raised over the last year. So there's some enormous recurring revenue in these businesses and they're currently on sale. So I absolutely love these things down here. Uh, you have some advertising and internet search exposure with Google and their other bets like YouTube and Waymo self-driving. You have a home builder for the household formation 
thematic with uh, with Lennar, as well as a small starter position in Zillow, which is a marketplace that has gotten absolutely annihilated in, in 2021. And we started a position at the end of the year when it was 70% off its recent highs, as well as our top holding in luxury home furnishings with RH Restoration Hardware, which is serving the world's wealthy consumers, not only from just a luxury home furnishings perspective, but they are really blending the lines between luxury home furnishings, commercial real estate development, as well as hospitality, and some of the projects that they're doing. They're now beginning their international exploration and growth curve, where they're opening galleries in the UK and in Paris and in Spain, as well as uh, in Germany. So there's a lot of growth ahead for RH, which is why it's the biggest holding in the fund, as well as uh, health and wellness allocations through Abbott Labs, that's probably selling as many COVID rapid tests as they can possibly uh, produce. So in the letter, you'll have a link to the real-time holdings of the portfolio. And just to, to close, I think it's really important to remind people that you know, if, if you asked me in 2020, what kind of return might be created if we would have had a period where a global virus would have taken hold and all these crazy policies that surrounding the pandemic would create massive supply chain disruptions, shipping delays, inflation spikes, epic labor shortages, lots of volatility, mass human suffering, extensive hedge fund redemptions, and, and a lot of you know, pulling forward of capital losses and cap gains, you know, people would have said returns for that two-year period, 2020 and 2021, would have been at least below average, let's call it 10% uh, per year. And, and the reality is the S&P was up 23% on average annualized for that two-year time period. The fund itself was up 67. So, you know, we annualized about 500 basis points on average better than the stock market uh, as measured by the S&P 500. And certainly better than, you know, what I consider to be kind of a plain vanilla ETF portfolio that annualized at about 20% when we annualized at about 29. So, you know, everybody did better than we would have expected given what, what 2020 and 2021, you know, what occurred in those two years. Uh, so it's important to remind people that, you know, sometimes things happen that you don't think will happen. And maybe the Fed policy and printing $4 trillion and dropping money from the sky was, was the reason that markets did as well as they did. Um, but the, at the end of the day, um, don't just judge the news by what should happen because sometimes that can lead you astray. We all did much better than we expected and the brands fund did much better than the market as well as a basic ETF portfolio. So as we kick 2022 off, we expect the road to normal Fed policy will create some periodic bouts of volatility, but this normalization is very healthy for markets and the economy over the long term. We should be, you know, the, the returns this year should be less about the index and probably more 
driven by active stock picking as the economy normalizes and companies get back to more typical operating environments. Concentrated portfolios should probably have a much better uh, performance showing than you know indexes and ETFs that own thousands of stocks. And we do think the quality and profitability style factors will outperform the low quality and highly levered balance sheets um, you know, style factor. So we thank you very much for your loyalty to the Rational Dynamic Brands Fund and for appreciating the value of investing in that 40 trillion plus global consumption narrative that happens every single year and is part of our daily lives. Investing in the brands that build innovative and necessity-based products and services really is a timeless approach to investing uh, for retirement and for all your other goals. So we thank you and we're excited for 2022 and uh, we'll manage the volatility as we see it. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening to Mega Brands, everybody. I'm your host, Eric Clark. For more information on this podcast and to learn more about the brand relevancy scoring system we use, be sure to check out the website at globalbrandsmatter.com. While you're there, make sure to sign up for the market newsletter and check out my latest thoughts on our favorite portfolio brands in the Dynamic Brands section. If you have any questions or want to learn more about the Dynamic Brands approach, send me a message on the contact tab. Thanks again for listening, everybody. Have a great day.